Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. Today, we're not talking about babies. Today, we're talking about toddlers. And specifically, we're talking toddler aggression and even more specifically, hitting. Why do toddlers hit and what can we do about it? At the Happy Sleep Company, we so often work with infants whose parents are in the early months of parenting and of sleep deprivation. But what many don't realize is that we also work with toddlers and preschoolers to manage sleep challenges at those ages. This means we're very often dealing with families who are in the thick of toddler sleep regressions and behaviors that are very new both to the child and to the parent. Hitting is often at the center of this, a big frustrating new behavior that as parents, we all of course want to nip in the bud as quickly as we can. I was recently listening to an episode of the Mom Room podcast that focused on the overwhelming amount of content on social media regarding gentle parenting, particularly focusing on toddlers and preschoolers. What's effective when it comes to gentle parenting? What's not? What does the research say? Timeouts, are they good? Are they bad? The podcast's host, Renee, interviewed Dr. Kara Goodwin. She's a PhD and founder of Parenting Translator, and she interviewed her to give her expert opinion on all of these topics. The episode is fantastic, and you should absolutely check it out on the Mom Room podcast. And it brought up loads of additional questions for me that I knew I just had to ask Dr. Goodwin myself. Questions about toddler behavior regressions, why those changes happen, how to manage these new behaviors, and particularly about toddler regressions and hitting, because so many of my toddler parent clients are managing these really difficult situations. So I reached out to Dr. Kara Goodwin, and I'm thrilled to say that today she's joining us on Sleep Cues to offer us her expert opinion on managing this sometimes tough phase with our toddlers. So welcome, Dr. Goodwin. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Goodwin, you are a mother of three young children. You are a licensed psychologist and you have a PhD in child clinical psychology. You are the founder of the amazingly resourceful Instagram account, Parenting Translator. You've written a children's book. You're a busy woman. Yes. (laughs) So tell us a bit more about you. Yes. So I am a mother to three, um, three kids who are two, four and six. So I definitely consider myself, you know, in it with a lot of the parents I am working with and talking to. Um, I feel like I can really relate to them. And I'm also a child psychologist. And, you know, as a psychologist, I worked with a lot of parents, you know, I've worked with a lot of parents, helping them to understand the research and how it applies to their lives and how it can help solve some of the problems that come up. Um, But when I became a mother myself, it struck me that a lot of parents, you know, I would talk to my mom friends and it became clear to me that a lot of parents don't know all the research that's out there. Um, And, you know, as somebody who's done a lot of this research myself, it's, uh, it was really shocking to me because there's so much time and money and effort that goes into this research and then nobody reads it. And I was just kind of like, well, what's the point, you know, if this isn't, if all of this parenting research isn't even reaching parents um, to help them make their lives a little bit easier. So I, um, during the pandemic, when all of us were, you know, a little intellectually bored, although I was not 
really bored because I have little kids, um, I decided to, you know, just start writing up research summaries of the research I was reading and sharing it with my friends. And then it just kind of grew. And I got a lot of positive feedback of like, oh, this is, this is really helpful. I didn't know about this research. Um, So my goal is really to take all of the research that's out there on parenting and child development and then translate um, it into information that parents can actually use in their everyday lives. That's amazing. And you do that through your website and through your Instagram account, Parenting Translator. You know, somebody's passionate about what they do when they're in the middle of a pandemic and they're a mom of three and in their quote unquote spare time, they just write research (laughs) summaries about overwhelming information for parents and share it with their friends. I love that. Like, you know, someone's I'm like, I'm such a nerd. I'm so into the research. I I can't help it. Um, It's so good (laughs) though. That's why you're so good at your job. And it's why you're so, you know, you take a niche and you're so passionate about it. That's amazing. Great. Okay. So let's talk hitting because that's kind of the crux of today. That's what we really wanted to kind of hone in on because it's one of those things I think I know as a parent who's gone through the toddler stage, it can be so stressful for parents first to figure out the best way of handling this behavior. It can feel so awkward to be the parent whose child is hitting others on the playground or at daycare. And a lot of parents are wondering like what interventions are going to work to solve this quickly because this is stressful and it's awkward. And then on the other hand, your child might suddenly be hitting you or a sibling and you might be kind of suffering in private, wondering, have I done something wrong? Again, how do I resolve this quickly? I think parents, first of all, I'm sure you would agree, can rest assured that they are not alone in these worries, that this is like, you're not the only parent who's going through this and whether your child's hitting you or others, there are ways to manage this, but that's what we want to talk about today. Yes. Yeah. So Let's start off with why toddlers hit. Can you give us just some insight into like, why does this happen? And some do and some don't. So why do some toddlers hit? Yes. Um, You know, I definitely want to say first that I have been that parent whose child is hitting and it is so, so, so common. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your child. Um, I know before I had kids, you know, I thought I was going to be a perfect parent because I'm like, I have a PhD in child psychology. Like, how could I not be a perfect parent? And I'll never forget that experience of when my first child, you know, was aggressive with another child. And I was just flabbergasted. Like, how could this have happened to me? You know, but I should have in that moment remembered, you know, what we know about child development, which is that it is so normal for toddlers to be aggressive. It is a completely normal developmental stage. It has to do with their brain development. It doesn't mean that you're a bad parent and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your child. Um, So why toddlers hit? Um, there can be a lot of different reasons. You know, the main reason is that, you know, developmentally, they just don't have the impulse control. You know, we have all felt that moment when you're so angry at someone, you're like, I feel like I could slap them. But like none of us, well, hopefully we'll do it because we have, you know, our frontal cortex, which helps um, us to block those impulses and choose a socially appropriate behavior instead. And toddlers don't have that. So it's really a lack of impulse control. And then also a lack of of other skills. Um, So communication is a big one. Like if they don't know how to ask for help, they might get frustrated and hit. Um, If they don't know how to ask for attention, if they don't know how to ask another child to take turns, um, they also are lacking the skills in terms of emotional regulation. So they don't know how to calm themselves down when they get to the point where they're so frustrated, they feel like they might hit. Um, So it's really the, the main thing are 
are impulse control and a lack of skills. So that kind of helps us understand where we can jump in as parents. What about testing limits? What about being aware, but being so Mm -hmm. aware that it's purposeful because it's a limit testing thing. You know, it's creating a situation where I am going to do X to determine what, why the outcome is. Is that a thing at that age or? Yeah. Especially for younger toddlers, that's really common. You know, they're figuring out the world. They do like a lot of like cause and effect play, um, you know, where they press a button and then they see what happens. And so it's the same thing. It's just as innocent as pressing a button on a toy, but it's, they're, they're, hitting, you know, you or other kids to kind of see the reaction. And they often do get a really big reaction. So that then encourages them to do it more because it's like, wow, that was really interesting what just happened. Um, You know, mom has been sitting there on her phone ignoring me until I slapped her. And then all of a sudden, like I got all this attention. So of course, they're going to do it again. So I think it's very common to test limits. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your child. It doesn't mean that they need a punishment to learn. It just means that, you know, this is a normal developmental stage. And that's something I talk about so often with my clients with regards to sleep, because a parent will say, I don't know why my child keeps waking up in the middle of the night. I thought maybe it was hunger, you know, he's two and a half, maybe he's going through a growth spurt. So we started offering him like a squeezy pouch in the middle of the night, but now it's like two months later and every night he's waking up for the squeezy pouch. And I don't really think it's about hunger anymore. And I feed him tons during the day. And I'm pretty sure he's getting a lot of great calories. So what could be going on? What could be causing him to wake up in the night? And I'll say, you know, it's cause effect, it's action response. Yes. One time this happened and you weren't really sure what to do about it or how to manage it or what the issue was. So you resolve the situation with the reaction of offering a squeezy pouch. And then your child learned action. I yell out at you in the middle of the night response. I get as what is essentially amounts to a piece of chocolate cake. Not that yes. there's anything wrong with squeezy pouches, but they're really fun and yes. exciting to children. Yes. So for and also parent attention, which is the most powerful motivator of all. And parent attention. Yes. And that's something I'd love to talk to you about too, because when I talk to my clients about managing toddler bedtime tantrums or issues in the middle of the night, we often talk about how we inherently think of attention as, okay, so I shouldn't be you know, sing-songy and, you know, really light and airy with him and really excited, you know, that's too much attention. And I say, well, yes, but also if you raise your voice, you change your tone of voice, that is still attention. Any attention is attention to a toddler and probably what your toddler was seeking. And even if you think raising your voice is going to solve the problem, it's probably more that what we need is a very sort of monotone, even almost boring and business-like tone in those situations where you want the behavior to stop because that's not interesting to your toddler. Monotone, boring, business-like is not interesting. Sing-songy kind of voices, interesting, loud, angry voices, not fun, but still interesting. And that's still a reaction. And so we talk a lot about sort of creating that very even toned response. Yes. Yes. Be as boring as possible to be, (laughs) did not reward the behavior. Um, Because, you know, I think, I think there's, there's been a pushback against um, some of this kind of more behavioral parent practices, but I think it's important to remember that 
that all children um, respond to parent attention. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't give them attention when they are in distress. You just have to be careful about, you know, what kind of attention you're giving them and that you're balancing that with like a lot of positive attention for appropriate behaviors, like behaviors that you want to see more of. Absolutely. I agree. And it's interesting. I'd love to get your take on this. Actually, we didn't talk about talking about this, I'm, but I'm curious about your take. So there are many parenting sites, and I don't think I've seen this on yours, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, that will talk about how your child is not being manipulative and like, don't worry, there's no such thing. Your toddler or preschooler is not being manipulative. And when I talk to my parents, I say, sure he is but it's not a bad thing. I think the word manipulation has gotten this horrible, nasty, you know, green goblin kind of tag on it. But if we look at the root of the word, if you look up the word in the dictionary, like if your toddler or preschooler wasn't being manipulative, wasn't literally manipulating situations to determine what the outcome would be, I'd be concerned. Toddlers and preschoolers are supposed to manipulate situations. I think you said it a few minutes ago. It's they're figuring out the world and manipulation of situations is how they figure out the world. But our response to that as parents determines what their understanding of it is. Cause effect, what the action response, you know? Yes, I completely agree. All right, quick pause, because what is more important to talk about when it comes to sleep than what we actually sleep on? I want to tell you about my very favorite mattress brand, Obison. Whether we're talking mom and dad, kiddo, or baby, Obison is my go-to for comfort when it comes to your family's sleep surface. You wouldn't want your family to sleep on anything less than the very best, and that starts with the best materials in the world. Obison's mattresses are handcrafted in Canada, and their materials are organic, ethically sourced, and chemical-free. Babies' body temperatures tend to fluctuate while they sleep. Obison's mattresses are breathable and moisture-wicking to help regulate babies' temperature levels throughout the night. And comfort knows no age. So Obison's organic 6-inch mattress for kids also features evolving support as your children grow and grow and grow. And when it comes to custom sleep, Obison is all in. That's why in addition to mattresses, they also offer you five distinct pillows with unique designs and different fillings that serve every sleeping style and meet both your toddler's needs and your own as grown-ups. We want your kids sleeping great. Use code HAPPYSLEEPTODDLER at checkout and get $24 off a toddler's shredded rubber pillow for your little one. Head to obison.com and obison.ca and get great sleep started. You know, there's toddlers don't have bad intentions. They're not manipulating you. You know, they're not hitting you because they want to hurt you or calling out in the middle of the night because they want to ruin your night's sleep. You know, there's no bad intentions behind it, but it's more so that they are responding to the rewards and consequences in their environment. Um, Mm -hmm. We all respond to rewards and consequences, you know, you know, on Instagram, if I post something that gets a lot of likes, like, whether I want to or not, like I respond to that, you know, and I will want to post more of those kind of posts. So, and, you know, all of us adults, like, you know, we rarely do things without something in it for us, you know, we all respond to rewards and consequences. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, your child doesn't have bad intentions, but they, they are responding to your attention and they are going to 
do, you know, use more behaviors that get more attention, whether they're intending to or not, you know, a lot of times for young children, it's more of like a unconscious process, but. Right. Exactly. And exactly, as you said, they don't necessarily understand. They don't necessarily know how to process their feelings yet. Yeah. So, so those are kind of the big ones around why it's happening. So then yes. let's talk about what you should do when your toddler hits. How do we start to get a handle on managing this? Yes. So the first most important step is managing your own emotions. Um, You know, I see a lot out there on Instagram about, you know, being with your child in times of distress and emotion coaching. Um, And there is a lot of research backing up talking about emotions, but I think it's a little misconstrued the way it's presented on social media. So the most important thing is managing your own emotions first. And the reason for that is if you are trying to calm your child down and you are dysregulated, you will only have a negative effect um, impact. So you want to make sure that you are calm before you enter the situation. Um, and sometimes it's walking away. Sometimes that's, um, you know, get, get, this is a, a controversial topic, but giving your child a, a little bit of a break from the situation so that you can both calm down, um, whether you want to call it time out or time in or whatever you want to call it, um, that can be helpful for as you as a parent regulating um, yourself. Um, and I think so, you talked about that in the mom room podcast. Yes. And I think the word time out, like the word manipulation, it's similar where it's gotten yeah. this big, ugly tag on it. And the way you said it is so interesting, right? If you just said to someone like you just did, when there's a very heated situation and your toddler's having a tantrum, your toddler's trying to hit, you are feeling extremely frustrated. Why not give your toddler a break from this situation in this moment? What parent would disagree with that? Right. But when you call it time out, because it's become this whole brand of things, it suddenly for many parents feels like this very negative thing because of all of the overwhelming amount of information on social media about that sort of branded coined term. But exactly like giving yourself a break from the situation and stepping away, giving your child a break from the situation, however you safely can do that. Yes. If that makes sense for you and your family and your child in that situation, then why wouldn't we do that and handle it that way? Yeah. And a lot of it depends on how you handle it, depends on the age of the child and kind of, you know, what the safety concerns might be. You know, if you're like next to a pool, for example, you would never want to leave your child's side. You know, it's just like, and and if you have a young, like a one and a half year old, you can't leave them alone. You know, it's like, so it depends a lot on the situation. And, you know, you want to, in that moment, you know, your first steps are keep, get yourself calm and then keep everybody safe. So, you know, you, if it's two children that are being aggressive with each other, you know, you need to separate them. If, um, you know, your child is kicking you really hard and could potentially hurt you, like you probably want to turn them around so that they can't kick you, you know, so, and hold them um, in a way that they can't kick you or hurt you or, or even hurt themselves. So you do want to make sure everybody's safe and that is a priority. Um, you know, ideally you don't use physical restraint. Um, you know, we kind of think of that as like a last case or a, a and so what you know, just so our time. listeners just so our listeners are clear what would you mean by that when you say ideally we don't use physical restraint what do you mean by what some parents would just feel like last yes, resort I, mean, I have to use physical restraint what do you yeah, mean by that? so um you know 
you can, the, fir the first, the best solution would be, you know, you ask your child to move away and they do, but they might not in a dysregulated situation. You could guide them away. Um, physical restraint, you know, actually holding in their arms and their legs is kind of like a last resort um, because that, you know, that's a bad feeling for any child to kind of have themselves like restrained in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and, but it, it, it is necessary. I've done it with my toddlers, you know, it's, it's a necessary choice to keep everybody safe in some situations, but that shouldn't be like our first go-to, right. um, especially for older toddlers. And, and so then, so you, you've got, you've calmed yourself down. You've made sure everybody is safe. If there's two kids involved, I would first attend, you know, once everybody's safe, I would first attend to the child who's been hurt. And sometimes it's hard to tell because like, sometimes it's more of a fight than it is like one child, the aggressor and one being hurt. But if it is where one child is the aggressor, especially if it's siblings, and I'm kind of responsible for both of these kids, um, I would attend to the child who's hurt first. Um, this helps to avoid giving negative attention to the aggressor. It it also can help you calm down as a parent as an added benefit. Um, and a third benefit would be that it models for your child giving empathy to somebody who's hurt. So, you know, you checking in on the kid and be like, are you okay? What hurts, you know, which is something if your child accidentally hurts someone, you would hope that they do or even purposefully eventually check on the other person, show empathy. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to attending to the child who's hurt first. Um, and then what you want to do is make sure everybody's completely calmed down. And once everybody involved in the situation has calmed down, then that's when you want to talk to the aggressor, the one who hit, and talk about their emotions and help them problem solve. If you try to do that in the heat of the moment, you are not going to get anywhere. <laughs> I can, you know, I can tell you from experience, both clinically and personally, that you're not going to get anywhere. So it's, it's a really common misconception that, you know, we talk a lot about validating emotions, but that is after everybody's calmed down because your child's brain is not going to process it in the heat of the moment. Um, so after everybody's calmed down, I would then talk about, you know, what feelings they might have been having and then problem solve with them of what, what could you have done next, you know, next time this happens? Could you have asked mommy for help? Could you have asked him for a turn before like grabbing it out of his hand, you know, to give them ideas if you need to, if they're a young child um, and, and try to problem solve the situation, but only when everybody's calm. And that might take some time, I'm assuming. Yes. So I'm, I'm guessing, I know for sure. There are some listeners who are like, okay, because I, I know the listeners are my clients who've been through this and are, have told me at bedtime, like, okay, great, but he won't calm down. Like he yes. just keeps going and going and going. And I assume from your end, you can correct me. The answer is you got to wait it out. Like however, whatever, yes. however you've decided to manage the interim between the hitting behavior and when your child calms down, whatever you've decided is appropriate for your child and your family for managing that you have to do that until the child calms yes. down, no matter how long that takes, whether that is, you know, sitting with them and just holding them, not physically restraining, but holding yes. like comforting or whether yes. that is some kind of break from the situation or whatever it is. But you know, to get from point A, which is the hitting to point B, which is the discussion and the talking through it and the discussing alternatives and that kind of thing. The middle part, I think is what a lot of parents really struggle with where, yes. how, what do I do in the meantime when he's still just losing it for lack of a better term? Yes. Yes. And you can, you know, it, it 
you can help children learn strategies to calm down faster. And ideally you would practice those when they're calm. You know, if you only try to practice deep breathing when they're upset, like they're never going to learn it. So you want to practice, you know, deep, deep breathing. And, you know, it's like you said, it's different for every child. Some children breathing work, some it doesn't, some, you know, they want to hug, some need like some space from you. And so it's kind of just like figuring out with your child, what works for them in that moment. Um, but figuring it out when they're calm. And that is such a key piece of advice. I love that. And as a parent, I'm even thinking I have a 10 year old and I'm still using that in my mind right now, thinking I need to do that more because I do try to implement those strategies when she's already upset. And I really don't think about doing them when she's not. And that's such a key piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an important point you made is that we should even if we're working on this every single day with our toddlers, we should not expect them to learn, you know, you, they will still be teenagers or maybe even adults, you know, still working on using their calm down strategies. Um, so, you know, this is a lifelong process and we're like in the very beginning of it. So, you know, don't get frustrated as a parent. If you're like, we've been working on deep breathing for a year and she still can't calm her sometimes, you know, it's like, this is a lifelong process. We're just trying to help give them some strategies And one day, um, you know, I have an almost seven-year-old and I'm finally starting to see some of this stuff click. And it's like one day it will click and you'll be like, oh my gosh, the years of work on this is finally coming together. Um, Absolutely. It's a slow, slow, slow process. Yes. It's so (laughs) funny actually that we're talking about this. We just had like a deep breathing moment last night. Again, my daughter just turned 10, but she lost a tooth last night. I kid you not. It just kind of came up. And she was, she almost lost the tooth and of course needed mom to help get it out from its last little leg that it was standing on. And she was really upset. My daughter does not deal well with physical pain of any kind, like splinters, losing teeth. She was so upset. And before I could even get the words out, she just took a huge breath and said to me, mommy, just stop. Just don't try again until I do some deep breaths. And I was like, like you just said, it was one of those yeah. like, ah, oh, it's yes. working. Yeah. <laughs> like it's working. And I didn't even have to tell you to take deep breaths. Yeah. You said to me, mommy, don't try to get it out again until I take some deep breaths because yes. I need to calm myself down before you try again to get this tooth out. So yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's tough. I always talk about it with friends who have younger children who are working on like manners and you know, how many times am I going to have to say, remember to say thank you over yeah. and over until they finally get it. And as a parent of an older child, you can say, you know what? They will, but only if you do it over and over and eventually you'll have that moment yes, where you hear them years. just say yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. not preempted, not provoked. They just say it and you're like, oh, finally, all those yes. years of, of trying. So, okay. I have a question for you about age though, because we're talking about, okay, we've calmed down. We're having a discussion. How could you do this differently next time? Could you have asked to share, etc.? Is there an age where your child is too young? for any kind of discussion like that to really work. And there's an age where maybe you just redirect instead of trying to have a discussion, or is it always worth it to have a discussion? And it's just a matter of changing the words and the language that you're using and the way you're having that dialogue based on their age. Yeah. You know, I think with one and two year olds, there is some, like some situations where redirecting is the right thing to do, but I don't think it hurts even with children that you're like, I don't know if they understand this to start having those discussions, if only to practice it yourself. Um, and I do think that children understand a lot more than we think that they do. Um, and even, you know, I have my youngest just turned two and I can work with him, you know, instead of hitting, you know, on 
I can, I, you know, will stop him from hitting and then be like gentle hands and then say, or give him like something he could say in instead, like help me, you know, and sometimes he'll parrot it back to me. Sometimes he won't, you know, but it doesn't hurt to just with those younger toddlers, like try to give them the words because a lot of times what the, why they're getting frustrated is because they don't have the communication tools. Right. And what about redirection? Is that something that you promote as a tactic or is that just kind of ignoring the problem? Are there times when redirection is the right solution and makes more sense or is it, is it never the right tool? And are we always wanting to address it directly head on? I think redirection can be, can be a good tool for young children. Um, I just think you want to be conscious of making sure you are also like teaching them some of the skills that are, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, that hitting often happens because of a lack of skills. You want to make sure that you are working on them developing those skills because then ultimately that will help to prevent the aggression if they gain the communication skills and work on calming themselves down. And that was going to be my next question. That's a nice segue is the prevention. Like what are some of the ways that, and you just mentioned one, but what are some of the ways we can prevent this before it even happens? Yeah. So prevention is so important here. You know, I think you want to be aware of like situations or behaviors that you notice that tend to get your child escalated. Um, So if you notice like they always clench their fists when they're starting to get angry or you notice a particular tone of voice they use when they're starting to get angry, that's when you want to move closer to them and maybe use a little bit of coaching like, oh, I noticed you're getting frustrated. Maybe you should try this, you know, and that and if you can jump in before it happens, that's going to be so much more effective than the discussion afterwards. Um, so so just being aware of when your child seems to be get escalating and, and jumping in before something happens. And also it's important to remember, you know, to be conscious of your own emotions and be aware of your own triggers, because I think a lot of times children are responding to us becoming escalated. Um, So be aware of your own, of your own emotions and try to, um, you know, work on your own coping strategies to make sure you can kind of stay level in those moments when it's starting to get heated. And then finally, um, you know, always assume the best of your child. You know, I think rather than jumping in and being like, it looks like you're about to hit, you know, to, to have the intention that they are trying to, um, you know, get a need met in some way, you know, because research shows that parents who, you know, kind of see their children in a more negative light actually have more aggressive children. So trying to change your own perspective about your child. Um, You know, if you hear the baby crying rather than walking in and being like, did you hit the baby? Um, Being like, oh, why is he crying? What happened? Um, So just, just being conscious of your own perspective and your own emotions, I think can have a huge impact. That's great advice. What about, you mentioned, for example, physical restraint might be a resort, but it would be a last resort. What are the, some of the things that you would say we should just not do when our toddler hits? We talked about like, what do you do? How do you manage it? What are some of the things you would say are the big no-nos? Like, don't yes. manage it this way. 
what do you not do? Yes. So there is some research showing like parenting strategies that are completely ineffective. Um, And I think that's really helpful to know like what just does not work. Um, So spanking or any sort of physical discipline is one of those. Um, You know, it models aggression for kids. Um, So research has shown that spanking or any sort of physical discipline actually makes children more aggressive because you're showing them that like being physical is a way to solve a problem. And then another ineffective strategy is using what we call psychological control, which is any sort of like guilt or manipulation or shaming your child. Um, so, so just being careful that, you know, you, again, assuming the best of your child and you're not, you know, saying to them, like telling them, you know, that they've been a bad boy or something that really makes them, you know, feel like a lot of shame about what they did rather than um, framing it as this is a normal thing. We all make mistakes. Um, you know, this is, it's it, even mommies and daddies make mistakes and, and you just made a mistake and, and we can repair it. Um, so making sure we're kind of having that perspective with our children. How about just some additional tips that you might have just to sort of wrap things up on, on just dealing with toddler hitting? Like what are sort of the top tips you would say there are for managing it in a way that hopefully it doesn't even occur or so that we start to see it lessen if we've started to see it because not all toddlers hit, but if we've started to see this in our child and we've started to see, okay, they are a toddler who is going to hit. I've seen it happen now once or twice or whatever. I want to just nip this in the bud as we say. So what are some of the top tips for just sort of dealing with it, avoiding it, getting away from it, lessening it? Yeah, I mean, in addition to what we've talked about, one thing that we haven't touched on yet is the repair afterwards. Um, So if they have been aggressive with another child, how do you help them to like understand that they, you know, either hurt that child's body or their feelings? Um, And you can explain it, but something that I do that I think can be really powerful for young kids is um, helping to um, like help that person feel better in another way, you know, I'll start with, how do you think you could help them feel better? And if they're just looking at me blankly, then I'll like give them some ideas. Like maybe you could get an ice pack for them and, and they have like go and get the ice pack and hold it on their, on their friend's arm or wherever they were hit. Um, or maybe you could give them a hug or maybe you could ask them what would make them feel better. And I think that understand helps them to understand that like their actions have, consequences on other people and also how do you repair in a way because that's also an important skill in itself because you know like I've said the aggression is probably not going to go away right away even if you (laughs) implement all these strategies today so um so to learn how to come back from those mistakes I think it's really important absolutely I have to assume too, that getting all the caregivers on the same page is important because I know for sleep, that's a huge one for us. When we're working with a new client, we can't just assume that the, you know, primary caregiver, or I know as Renee at the mom room podcast, we were talking about her earlier because that's where I found you. And she talks about the default parent a lot on her Instagram page. And so you know, we can't just assume that this is all on the default parent and they're the only one who is going to implement all of these strategies. There's perhaps another partner. There's maybe a grandparent who's involved. There's maybe a daycare provider who's involved. And I have to assume that getting all the caregivers on the same page is a big one too. I know it is for me when it comes to sleep and I'm sure it is when it comes to toddler aggression and how we manage it. 
Definitely. So yeah, that's very important getting, you know, parents on board, any other caregivers, you know, talking to your child's preschool or daycare about like the strategies they use and making sure everybody's kind of on the same page. Um, That's really important, making sure everybody has like a similar strategy. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. That is all so helpful. I, I know that our listeners, there's so many of them who are either in the thick of this or about to enter what they assume might be some tricky months with their toddler. Again, based, based on all of the overwhelming information that we have on social media, many of us enter these stages already sort of bracing ourselves for what we've heard other parents going through. And so uh, it's great to already have those strategies in mind so that we feel prepared for these months and years that are to come where we know we might stumble across some new behaviors that we haven't before seen. So I think these are all excellent tips to get us prepared for managing those situations should they occur with our own child. Um, You have a children's book all about this. Tell us about that. Yes. So I, um, a year ago, wrote a children's book, What to Do When You Feel Like Hitting. Um, And the idea behind that children's book is to help your children to understand what um, strategies they can use. Um, So we talked a lot about, you know, hitting is related to a lack of skills. So the idea of this book is to help children to learn some of these skills and learn what their other options are. Um, And it's a great way to start a discussion between a parent and child. So, you know, for example, we'll say instead of hitting, you can ask a parent for help. You can try deep breathing. You can try to go to a calm down space and calm yourself down. Um, So just giving children some ideas. And and I think it also helps give parents some ideas of like, what could I suggest in that moment to help them calm down um, and can help just start a dialogue about this with parents and children. Wonderful. Um, And sorry, where can we find, where can we find it? It's for sale at Amazon and other common book retailers. So what to do when you feel like hitting by Kara Goodwin. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Where else can we find you and your resources? Um, so on Instagram, I'm at Parenting Translator. I am on TikTok, but I don't have a lot on there um, at Parenting Translator. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm a little old, so it's taking me a while to get into that. And then um, I also just started a newsletter on Substack, so parentingtranslator.substack.com. So that's I'm doing kind of a deeper dive into some parenting research through my newsletter. Lots of different options. Oh, my website is www.parentingtranslator.com. Amazing. So yes. many resources. Yes. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. This was so helpful. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. So all of you listeners who want to find Dr. Goodwin can find her easily and all of her great resources. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.